0: Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics, Our monthly community electronic repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from The Restart Project, and I'm joined by my colleague, John. Hello. Great. So today we have a special pre-Halloween show. Ooh. But we're not going to try to make it too scary, except some of the topics we're discussing are a little bit scary at times. So we're talking about connected devices that other people will probably call Internet of Things. And John, tell me a little bit what you found in terms of a easy to access definition
1: of all of this. Well, the easiest definition that you can possibly use for it is an everyday object uh, which is set to transmit and to receive data. They appear on a network, they're visible, they're identifiable, but basically they're talking in this wider network format. So that in theory also applies to your computer and everything
0: else. I think I've heard a critique saying that Internet of Things is devices that are not primarily your communication devices but that end up communicating
1: connecting to the Internet or other networks. That's right, that's right. Um, I mean usually when we start talking about Internet of Things the things that will come up are not usually your smartphone or other devices you'd expect to be on a network already but things like you know a network connected kettle or um, a smart TV app. um, You know something that is traditionally a dumb device, which is now starting to, uh, you know, reach out and talk to other devices for whatever particular reason they do. Right. So, in order to learn a little bit
0: more about all of this, we have today a special guest uh, connecting from Turin, Italy, Davide Gomba of a project called Casa Jasmina. Welcome, Davide.
2: Hi, hi, everybody. I restart project.
0: So, uh, Davide, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit more about what is Casa Jasmina.
2: Well, Casa Jasmina is a um, project we started back in 2015 with the aim of um, testing and exhibiting IoT devices or uh, more broadened open source technologies devoted for communication or design In a home environment.
0: And uh, at the moment there seems to be quite a lot of hype around everything to do with connected devices and what's actually exciting uh, for you um, about all of this?
2: Well yeah um, there is a very very big hype around IOT which stands for um, internet of things devices. Uh, One of the reasons why we are so interested in it is that since we have been working with open source hardware, uh, we tried to build our very own internet connected devices. And these devices, they're not necessarily connected to uh, the internet, but they may also have conversation or communication with uh, other devices within the home. In this way, we are able to control better the way they talk to each other.
0: And uh, obviously there are some issues around uh, worries uh, that, specifically when these devices connect to the internet, uh, something might go wrong. And listeners to this show have heard us rant about some of the common problems of data theft, lack of access uh, uh, to The full terms and conditions, and what do you see as most worrying, based on your experience navigating between open tools and software and the reality of what's happening at, let's say, more mainstream level?
2: Yeah, well, uh, what's happening now is that the power of electronics nowadays, the what they call Moore' lows, expects the the size of the chips we're using to decrease every two years which means that the devices that are able to be connected are uh, the more we go on the more they become little um, what happens is that contrary on this we have many many devices that are bought from us as products but later turn out to be services I'm, I'm going to explain this in a better way uh, last year was this smart home thermostat called Revolve, um, which was mainly sold in the US, um, that was bought from Google Nest. What they did was that they turned it off from the internet because uh, it was a competitor to Google Nest. And all the people that were using this thermostat within their houses, they had their service disconnected, which basically meant that they were not they didn't bought a product, they bought a service, but they they weren't aware of.
0: Right, and actually we did mention this in an episode about a year ago, and the same does apply to a lot of other devices that rely not just on having software supporting them, but having servers uh, with the service running on. And so if the server gets unplugged, often you figured, you learned the hard way that that device was only half smart, in a sense.
2: Yeah, in a way, it's exactly what happened to the uh, unfortunate unfortunate owners of the Revolve and what happened to many other customers uh, all around the world when they were, for example, the the Pebble watch was bought by Fitbit and Fitbit was, uh, in a way, more gentle. They released a, a latest firmware that were... Uh, enabling the customers, the owners of the Pebble Watch, to use the Pebble Watch as it was without the cloud after it, which was in a way a better solution. But the point is that we want products to be to rely on to rely on in a more uh, consistent way. Uh, on this topic, I uh, I was in London last weekend and i uh, joined a workshop held by my friend alexandra de Chansonzino about the iot mark which is something she's working on since last june and wants to uh, create a quality mark after this iot project which aims to work on sustainability on the on the production chain of the products, but also works a lot on the on the on the rights behind of it, which would uh, uh, consistently um, stop this very very uh, unfair approach some producer had towards their
0: customers. It, it's interesting that you you mentioned a couple of things that connect directly with uh, the interests that we we follow and some of our favorite topics. I mean, we, we've had Alex as a guest to our podcast in the past. And uh, in regards to the pebble, we were at uh, MozFest this last weekend, and I spoke about our fears around software obsolescence and bringing exactly the case of the pebble that, yes, at a software level might have received a gentle final um, piece of software but at the same time that whole product line got completely disconnected and re- retired by the new owner of Fitbit and uh, what that means is there isn't any support hardware wise for anything that happens to those hundreds probably hundreds of thousands of of uh watches around the world and uh, and that is problematic so if you have a fault with a battery or any other hardware problem you're out of luck so the problems of software and hardware seem to become more and more intertwined um, the more we move to these connected devices and as you said earlier the fact that the chips are getting smaller and smaller means and tell me if i'm reading too much into your words that people that design these products don't seem to even consider the possibility of repairing these products well,
2: yeah, that is very close to correct. Um, on the other, on the other hand, uh, the, some some say the Moore's law is stopping or is slowing, slowing. So uh, this means that uh, if you are uh, developing code, more than software, we call it firmware, which is the code on hardware. Um, for these open source hardware platforms, uh, the fact that a chip stands a little bit more than that makes it uh, easily fixable on a firmware level. And uh, moreover, the parts that you normally um, uh, change more often are the batteries and are several other uh, recharge- uh, changeable parts. Such as condenser, condensers, uh, and i I, I know producers that uh, are more aware uh, and i'm I'm talking about open source hardware producers of these parts and make them easily reachable
0: and but yet, I know, but, I'm
2: talking about a very a very slight a slightly niche of the
0: market well, it's a niche that we hope will achieve uh, more recognition because certainly. We see every time we run one of our pop-up restart parties that uh, people come with devices that do need a capacitor changed. And uh, funny enough, just at Mosefest, someone was commenting, if only a manufacturer invented a way to easily swap in and out capacitors, Uh, that could contribute quite a bit in making electronics not just more potentially repairable but actually repaired uh, because for a lot of people this is still quite complicated understandably and uh, while the part might cost a tiny f- fraction of a pound it- it's still a big problem. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about Casa Jasmina itself. I-, I thought it was fascinating number one that it is in Turin in Italy a country that is well known for its design trajectory and tradition, and also that you are um, using it also as an experiential place where people can actually come and stay. Is this still the case?
2: Yeah, definitely. Yes, we are renting it on Airbnb and on other platforms, and we try to match up different uh, shades of interest in experimentation in the home environment, and these shades are uh, OEM manufacturers. So we are buying off-the-shelf IoT devices or chairs or armchairs. We have an Italian producer of kitchens that, like Valcucina, that lented us a kitchen, and many other producers that try to um, let us test their products and uh, let us uh, see. This product to a, uh, to a strange close, which is, uh, an open source rounded experience based on open source hardware. When I say experience is that we are testing several, um, how can I say software frameworks that lets you automatize your own and, uh, which is not just controlling the lights in a fancy way, but also monitor, uh, the consumption, of your electric system, or the consumption of the eating system, or maybe control who gets in and gets out mm. uh, if it's not you. So it's not basically uh, just aesthetic things or research, but also a more pragmatic approach about the house as a as a place
0: to be. So that was going to be my my last and, and question actually. So does this, this actually makes sense. I mean, it's a great experiment, uh, but often, more often than not we hear of examples of, you know, how you can control your lights to switch on and off with a smartphone app or perhaps activate your heating an hour before you reach your home or make sure that you don't leave it on once a sensor spots that the last person in the house has left. All of that, that makes sense. But it's not so transformative I think of the world per se if I may argue but what's the one emerging thread that you see as most promising?
2: Well that's a tough question. My, on the, on a personal level what, what we have been doing in Torino nowadays is adapting this, uh, uh, I will keep with the metaphor of the tailor. So we, are, we have a cloth and we adapted it to some specific needs for uh, um, mentally healed co- cooperatives that was asked us to create a connected home for uh, people with special needs. And that was very easy to use these open source uh, tools to recreate a custom Custom scenario. So that is the more relevant thing for me because there was the proof that using open source tools, uh, you can recreate something that is really, really difficult and most of the time expensive on a commercial level. The trend, if if I were to answer you on a more broad and worldwide uh, way, uh, is definitely the voice. So the voice is the next big thing.
0: So voice Uh, voice activated. Controlling oh, of devices.
2: IoT. Mm. So we will be talking to our houses and I can frame you different levels of privacy uh, uh, based on different levels of products that offer this kind of, of, of service. Uh, and I said service and not product, because of course, most of them rely on clouds on cloud based services and uh, on shady licenses, so we basically get something for free, and when we get something for free, most of the time, the product is us, so that is what is happening in one of these uh uh, places within the voice-enabled IoT. I'm not talking about all uh, of the of the trend, which is interesting, and uh, we have several startups that are trying to to recreate uh, and offer a voice-enabled IoT within the house framework, or looking after the privacy. Um, we have big big companies that are committing to transparency, a cleanness um, that had. Uh, promoted uh, a voice bank, for example, uh, Mozilla Launch, voice.mozilla.org, that is actually mapping um, and asking the users to read or uh, certify that somebody has re- uh, read in a proper English um, a specific sentence in order to educate this open source algorithm, which is going to be used later for non-commercial purposes in this basic Great. Uh, devices that are going to populate our houses so it's it's a very uh, illy and uh, um, complex uh, market in a way
0: and of course we hope that open source tools and approaches will make sure that we have more linguistic diversity as well and not products that are primarily designed to work uh, yeah with as a non-english
2: non, uh, mother English, mother, la- mother language uh, i would encourage this of course since it's one of the most spoken languages in the world, most of these projects start off from English.
0: Great. Well, Davide, thank you so much uh, for uh, being with us. And so anyone who wants to learn more about Casa Jasmina can head over to casajasmina.cc. Thank you for that.
2: Thank you so much, guys. Uh, See you soon. Thank you.
0: Great. (laughs) You are listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM, and today we're talking about Internet of Things and or connected
1: devices. John, so what do you make of that? Well, it's interesting to use the uh, the metaphor of the tailor, because when you think of, like, how internet of things or network-enabled devices are evolving. You know, you, you think of how we can take a traditional device and then evolve it to meet some sort of perceived need, or you can also argue the more pessimistic way of needing to sell us something new uh, just because there's an opportunity to sort of make money in a disruptive fashion. And certainly the Juicero uh, was one we've made fun of endlessly, the internet-connected uh, juice maker. Um, which enabled you to make juice remotely or, you know, wherever you wanted to. Using a pack
0: of fruit, which you could have also squeezed without the actual machine. Exactly, so
1: yeah. If, if you wanted to go uh, <clears throat> offline for but that. But y-
0: you've done a bit of research on other potentially warring developments in this arena. So what was the
1: worst example, or oh, strangest, rather? Well... Put it to you this way. I mean, the Juicero, not everyone drinks juice all the time. But what does everyone do most of the time? Wear clothes. So how about this internet-enabled smart belt? Okay. We call it the Belty. You can charge your phone with it. It adjusts automatically when you eat too much food. It's based on an algorithm. It's got a little light on it. It's brilliant. It's great. Right. Only and... $159. Right. and And, and, and it connects... <laughs> In which way? Um, so it's not actually internet connected directly. It connects through an app on your smartphone. So in theory, um, and I haven't looked into this too far, in theory you could uh, use your smartphone to adjust your belt if you wanted to. Um, another great example uh, on the accessories front is uh, internet, or not internet enabled, but NFC enabled flip-flops, uh, which reportedly have a chip in them. Um, and you're probably saying, well, what could a chip in your flip-flop do? Um, And this is where Internet of Things kind of fails because it's not done well. All it does is connect to an app on your phone, which then gives you advertisements for various goods and services. Doesn't tell you anything about how you're walking.
0: Okay. However, Internet of Things are not just jokes and they also serve purposes that are quite serious. So I don't want us to sound like we're always making fun of the most ridiculous tech projects, which I'm sure existed as such before we decided to connect everything to the internet. So there are some devices that uh, also can be a lifesaver, and previously they didn't necessarily connect to the internet, and now they do. Uh, people know about pacemakers, but there's actually other
1: developments that are happening. Absolutely, um, one of the, one, something that's happened very recently is um, the development of testing, what they're calling an artificial pancreas for diabetic patients. Um, so, if you're not familiar with that is what that is, um, type one diabetics, people who are dependent on using insulin. Um, can now effectively replicate the functioning of their pancreas, which is the organ that produces insulin within the body. Um, how this is done is using a combination of different devices. So, uh, you obviously have a smartphone, which serves as the controlling unit and the internet connected device. That then connects by Bluetooth to what's called an insulin pump, uh, which is a small device about the size of um, a very small cell phone or a pager. Um, that delivers a steady supply of insulin into the body. Um, So it's connected into the body via a small tube. And then that in itself connects to um, what's called a continuous glucose monitoring system. Um, This also inserts into the body and takes a constant reading of the diabetic's blood sugar. So what will then happen is you will get a constant reading of your blood sugar. No more need to do blood tests repeatedly for that. Um, That then gets connected to the insulin pump, which will then deliver that. And that is then controlled by an algorithm that comes over the Internet to the smartphone. And that obviously is a very
0: positive innovation for people that need it. And yet it connects to the Internet or it can connect to the Internet via Bluetooth or other protocols. And so potentially that also poses... Trouble the moment someone might be able to take over uh, that device and potentially seriously harm uh, or fatally harm uh, the person who has it in their body.
1: Absolutely. I mean, um, insulin pumps, um, and I shouldn't say this too loud, being a wearer and user of an insulin pump, are very easy to hack already. Um, They don't have a good security suite. And probably the bigger problem um, would be, you know, what happens if that algorithm goes wrong? You know, what happens if that reading goes very, very wrong? Um, you know, the. Um, app on the phone could be delivering 100 units of insulin as opposed to 10 units of insulin, uh, which obviously would cause somebody to go into a coma very quickly. Um, And also it's sort of built on technologies that aren't entirely proven themselves. So the continuous glucose monitoring system is only accurate up to 15 minutes ago. In theory, you could go comatose in 15 minutes, and the rest of the system would not be able to adjust um, and cause you to go deeper into coma or possibly even face death. This is the time when these connected
0: devices are finally bringing together issues of security and safety. And uh, Professor, Professor Ross Anderson at the University of Cambridge has been very eloquently explaining that this transition from uh, an Internet of Things uh, that we were worrying about in terms of of the safety of, sorry, the security of our data is actually now transitioning to something where our own safety is potentially at risk. And he mentions medical devices and products such as cars, where uh, particularly if the car is self-driving, but not necessarily just in those cases, it could become really uh, a dangerous uh, piece of equipment. And the point that he makes uh, that he's been making is around the fact that multiple manufacturers are coming up with so many different instances of products all of the time that the cost of supporting these products in terms of creating more and more software patches that fix the potential vulnerabilities mean that they are extremely too costly to maintain over the long period of time and while He argues that for consumer products like smartphones, people seem to be okay with upgrading them every two or three years. We're not so okay with that, but most people tend to do that. Uh, For cars, you can't just do that. And so there needs to be a new framework where these products receive multiple updates for maybe 15 or 20 years. And for most consumer products, this is never going to happen. It seems to, uh, we seem to imply from, from his uh, argument. W- what do you think? Oh, about the cars? Well, no, no. The fact that products uh, aren't receiving updates. Would you, would you buy a product knowing that in two years time, the manufacturer will stop supporting it?
1: I think when I would want to buy a product, I would want to know that I'm able to use this as long as you know, humanly possible, as long as it's useful for me, and as long as it continues to add value to my life. So if I if I were to venture into buy a very big uh, big ticket item, like if I were to Going back to the example of the artificial pancreas, if I knew that um, this software wasn 't going to be developed beyond two years' time, then I would not put my life on the line to use such you know such a, a particular suite of technology you know uniquely with the car i mean if it 's no longer going to receive computer upgrades um, to um, you know regulate whatever systems in play you know that would seriously make me question is this device actually adding value? is there actually a need in my life for this device if I have to plan my life around it. You know, it goes back to the concept of ownership.
0: Yeah, so there seems to be some consensus around the fact that it's too costly to support all these products for an extended period of life. But to me, the problem is that we're underestimating what's the actual cost of not doing so. And of course, from our perspective, an environmental cost that that is simply unsustainable, the more and more devices... um, we we connect to the internet, but also the actual economic cost of all of the money that people have invested in buying products that all of a sudden they kind of have to go back and buy another one. I don't think anyone has calculated how many billions and billions of pounds uh, per year that equals to but. We love to learn more about that. Yeah,
1: and certainly, I mean, the internet of things field is going to grow to about 30 billion objects by 2020. So if we don't know the cost, we certainly know it's going to be huge, and it's going to be a growing issue in the next coming years. So for a ray of hope, uh,
0: we (laughs) recommend uh, uh, you check out some of the talks uh, that happened during our FixFest, the first global gathering of community repair, particularly one at FixFest.org with Alison Powell from the London School of Economics and Kyle Weens from iFixes discussing whether our right to fully own products and repair them is in contrast with keeping products secure on a longer period of time. And small spoiler, it's okay. It's possible to get get both going at the
1: same time. And if you do have a old device that needs some attention, something slow, something broken, we've got two restart parties coming up this weekend. One out in Chingford, Chingford Parish Hall from 11 to uh, 2 and another one out in Ryslip at uh, Ryslip Manor Library from 12 to 3. So we'd love to see you there. All of those on...
0: Saturday and find more information about upcoming events on the restartproject.org and follow us on social media at Restart Project on both Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening and Closing Music is a collaboration of Cassini Sound and <laughs> our friend Faraz ah, yes. from uh, a project that sadly no longer exists, but thanks for making it.